I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. And we love to watch. We love to watch Rap the Musical. Hey, guys. I almost forgot that I usually say hi first, um, but I took a little power nap in between the title because um, I'm a tired boy. I'm a very yeah. tired boy. Um, and I'm going to compensate by yelling louder than normal into the mic to try to make it seem like I'm not tired. That will um, wake you up. Yeah. I'm, oh. yeah every so- sentence is just designed to wake myself up, not provide good content. Oh, so you and, say, um, somebody in a mental breakdown are in the same same phase. And Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah, and Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> Can you do uh, an impression of Gilbert Godfrey? <laughs> I'm a duck. <laughs> Perfect. Right? Because he was a famous duck character. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us for a uh, third time. I was going to say record third time, but it's only a record for you That's specifically. True. It's my, pers- but, my personal record. Thank you. Yeah, I'm you very your excited. personal best. And you know what? That's that's what you should always judge when you're trying to do marathons or appear as podcast guests. <laughs> so, Aaron, do you remember who's the top uh, seat holder for number of appearances? Oh, yeah. Uh, me, because you uh, weren't oh. on one episode. <laughs> well, I was gonna say uh, the Koski brothers, but you meant like yeah. as like mo- like total most appearances on the show. Yeah, I mean, I like yeah, you're was including one, garbage true. people in the count, which includes me. Yeah, no, it's you're you're one up on me because uh, if you don't know, <laughs> I've recorded five secret podcasts and have been releasing them um, through to, to exclusively to people's zooms. Can't wait to hear it. Uh, one has a record three listens. I've been meaning to get a zoom for about fifteen years now. Well, the price point is better than ever. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> so, I just don't know how they keep slashing prices on Zunes. They're free now. Free ninety nine. Free. They're free ninety nine. <laughs> um, so this is what you can expect from us tonight. We'll apologize in advance, uh, Carrie. If if someone has not heard uh, one of your previous guest appearances, which they should, because uh, I think the last time you were the uh, guest on our show was for the Neverending Story episode. Uh, yeah. one of my one personal of my favorites. favorites. That was so, fun. so much fun. Where we recorded for three and a half hours and probably could have gone for for two two or three more. But why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, I'm Carrie. Um, I live in New York. I work in documentary. Um, I'll give you one um, musically themed fact, which is that um, the one t- the one musical experience I had was in the eighth grade. I was in an all Hebrew production of Grease because that's what you do at Jewish day school. <laughs> which so, is the best sentence I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Carrie has shared a video of it with me. <laughs> what? And I oh, yeah. assure you. I, I assure shared you it with you too, Aaron. As- <laughs> Wait, it's on YouTube? It'll be linked in the show. I will I will plug this again at the end, but the one person from middle school who I still talk to, um, who played Danny in this production of Grease, uploaded the entire show to YouTube. I don't know why, um, but if you want to watch a middle school production of Hebrew Grease from 2000, um, it's on YouTube, and it's the I think it's the only one of its kind. So it's not it's not <laughs> difficult to find. What's its uh, Can we rate it on Letterboxd after watching? Is that 
Ooh, oh, I should check if it's there. That would be fun. Please do. <laughs> Please rate it. Five stars. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's exciting. That's that's new information to me. I have a new movie to watch after we're done recording tonight. But uh, if you've never heard of us before, where we love to watch, we're a podcast that does uh, themed months. We pick a theme. We watch four movies that uh, somehow circle that theme. Sometimes more directly than others. But this month, it's easy because we're just doing musicals. And the theme, more specifically, because we did this last May, is uh, good musicals. Uh, last year, we, we took a different route that was uh, severely panned. And uh, not just not just by people who, you know, had some comments that were less than positive, but also uh, the listenership, which dropped significantly over the course of that month. Um, so we're trying something different, we're trying to give people what they want, and more importantly, give Aaron and Pete what they want, which is uh, good time, fun singing moments. All right, we're all going to harmonize. It's going to be just as successful as last week. Oh, no. Good times. Good times. Aaron is on a severe th- feedback delay or uh, doesn't know what harmonizing is. <laughs> One of the two. I'm on, um, I'm on a, a little bit of a personal delay, but this week we're doing uh, Tokyo Tribe. Tokyo <laughs> um, Tribe. Tokyo Tribe. Which is something that I hadn't seen before. I believe Carrie hadn't seen before. I had not. Uh, and it was uh, Peter, uh, both the first foreign language musical that you had seen, and one of the few musicals that you uh, loved when you were still in your musical uh, hating phase, which, uh, thanks to myself and this podcast, you are now out of. Um, is that correct, Peter? <laughs> oh, it's 100% correct. Right. And I joked for a long time of me saying it's the only good musical. Um, it's not. I was just making a joke because it made people annoyed. It's, but it is a musical that kind of, uh, inspired a passion in me to check out more of the genre. And, uh, yeah, that's why I wanted to bring it in today is something that like is very personal to me. And also it's very personal to me for reasons I'll get into the show because when I was younger, I was obsessed with extreme Japanese movies and Sion Sono was one of the, the people I was very much into. So, um, yeah, this is going to be fun. I always like when we get into, uh, Peter's high school years as a lonely outcast <laughs> trying to force all his friends to watch these graphic Japanese movies. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fun insight into his world. Yeah. I mean, you're making it sound a lot creepier than it, <laughs> it actually was. was which Where was... you sat in your basement with your collection of skulls and watched Battle Royale 2 for some reason a hundred times in a row. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. How many times in high school did you say hiya? Uh, never, never, because <laughs> as much as I loved uh, fucked up Japanese movies, I was never an anime kid. Oh. oh. See, I associate that more with just ninja stuff. Oh, 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 Um, no, I was never a ninja. Well, formally trained, I was never a ninja. One time I did okay. sneak up on somebody and say boo, but I feel like that more qualifies me as like a living ghost than anything. Um, <laughs> right now, the way I feel about my life, I'm definitely more of a, like a walking dead than a living ghost, but... You know, oh, you you change as you grow up, right? Like the AMC series. Yeah, 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 I'm like that, except for it didn't take like an apocalypse to make me a hollowed out shell of a man. It just took like just being alive. And you're you're getting pretty repetitive as each season passes, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh man, it's just trauma and boredom, trauma and boredom, <laughs> in a constant loop. <laughs> Great. Uh, so we're in the interest of time tonight. Uh, we're gonna skip a segment. 
Um, and, and and also, it's, it's so weird. Normally, when you record a podcast a week before it airs, you can't hear applause through my, my earphones, but that's what I'm hearing. Uh, so that's I, I feel like we just got a reaction from our audience from the future. But yeah, I think we should talk about Tokyo. Try. Tribe. <laughs> oh, it's not Tribe? Um, Oof. <laughs> that's what I did for trying to pronounce foreign words fancy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm kind of sad, Aaron, that you're not doing the uh, the recap on this movie because I would love to hear you go through the names of all the gangs. That would be just tender for me. Be tender? <laughs> no, just a sweet moment just for me. That are I we, just are you trying to invent new slang? Or is mm-hmm. is there something in California brewing I don't know about? <laughs> I mean, we got cronuts before there. you guys, so you know maybe tender's going to take off pretty soon. Just assume any time that I'm being uncool that it's just a cool California thing. You'll think's normal in like six months. That was very fast that and a little out. defensive. Yeah, let's let's <laughs> talk about Tokyo Tribe. Tokyo Tribe. Tokyo Tribe. <laughs> alternate taglines for old tokyo tribe uh, peter you forgot to welcome everybody back oh yeah welcome back oh. everyone um you were probably listening to some really awesome tokyo tribe uh, rap songs uh, they were probably oh. in a language you don't understand that language was japanese fun fact how awesome in what way because the narrator of this movie what's negative effort on rapping <laughs> No, he's doing the like he's doing that like Earl Sweatshirt thing where he's like just very calm and like sort of like drawling. But also the narrator is not that important in the movie. I, I think he's like no. he's important. To the, he's very important in the first like 30 seconds of the not 30 seconds, first 15 minutes in the movie. And then when he comes back at the end to rap, it's not that important. But like it's he had he's part of the best song in the movie. He pops well, up he, in the middle, I think, doesn't he? He's there yeah. a few times. He's just not. He, he's a, he's like a true narrator where he does. He's not really plot important, though he does participate in the fight at the end. Um, the narrator is a very is a very interesting character because you think he's going to be like the main character of the movie. Yeah, but there's yeah. like there's like a bunch of other because he even associates himself with one of the gangs. You figure that he would not associate himself with one of the gangs if he was not going to be part of the movie. But he also clarified nothing for me because I was still wildly confused as to who anyone was and just kind of let it watch o- wash over me until all of a sudden about an hour in. I'm like, OK, there's some there's some strands of a coherent plot forming and not just, hey, we're going to spend the first hour introducing uh, 1000 characters to you. I guess it entirely depends on whether or not you think you need to be taking notes on each of these gangs because if you do you're gonna get fucking so confused but like there's nothing about the gangs just are mostly style and how they and their style of rap so they're like aesthetic style and then the style they rap and then like there's not like a specific like character flaw in this gang that leads you to believe like oh this gang's gonna take an exploit of uh you're gonna exploit this um like a game of thrones thing like in game of thrones you have to learn everyone's names and this it's just like oh there's just a bunch of gangs and then they all team up to fight the big bad gang so yeah but that like teaming up or even just understanding that that team up is going to happen doesn't really happen until like an hour 20 minutes into the movie so it's not like i was like confused to the point of 
I don't understand what's going on. I don't know if these gangs should be important. I mean, like, scene for scene, I mean, I understood what was happening. But I thought that for, for a good chunk of this movie, that Boopa and those guys were just another gang in this milieu of gangs. Not that, like, he was in charge of... Or they were like the top gang dog, and then eventually there's the the daughter of the the wizard guy. So I mean, I was yeah. There was there was a little bit of like, look again from scene to scene. I understand it's a lot of um, you know oddness, and um, it's very well stylized. But f- I would call them the frat gang. Um, I, I do forget a lot of these gang names. Um, the kind of the main protagonist gang. Um, when they go to the um, the brothel and one of the people dies and then that's when finally like the, the semblance of the plot sort of started kicking in. But that's like an hour and 15 minutes in. So I was definitely I, – I did – I was talking to actually Carrie before we recorded that I did have trouble taking some notes on this movie because it for a while I just felt like I was watching um, – disparate scenes with similar characters but i didn't have any semblance of where of of what the narrative was or where it was going so it it, this is definitely going to be a movie that you know would be interesting to rewatch, and i wish i had time to do so because i would probably even even if those scenes don't necessarily start hitting the narrative early on i was just so like absorbing what i was seeing on screen but it it felt like a like you know uh, like like trying to hold sand for a good chunk of this movie. Like I just wasn't getting a grip on what the overall, um, what the overall point was besides just um, you know aesthetic craziness and obviously um, even some sometimes it felt like even less of a musical and more like you know if if a musical is the equivalent of like a concert and a performance, this movie feels like the equivalent of going to see a DJ, which I really liked about it. Um, but it's just kind of it, it was a little tough to get a get a handle on on what I was supposed to be caring about. I guess I'm not entirely sure the plot is the point. I mean, I'm sure that if you have seen it enough times and you're following the plot closely, there's there's more layers to pick up on. But I feel like there's enough spectacle that just absorbing the experience of what it is seems like more of the purpose i always i i figured out pretty early on that i was not gonna follow it terribly well so i just kind of let it happen and that i'm kind of glad that i did that because trying to follow it too closely and i did read more after i watched it to kind of pick up on some of the stuff that i didn't quite connect um which helped but kind of the experience of just absorbing it felt better than trying to figure out exactly who was who well and i think that's fair and i was i was definitely doing that a lot too but it does from my perspective i guess a little bit when you go to then like talk about this movie on a podcast like i was definitely enjoying the spectacle and the aesthetic and all the other stuff that was going on but until i finally sort of got a sense of what was going on uh, on a macro level a lot of my notes are like Oh, that scene looked cool. I, oh, that was a cool moment. Oh, I like the furniture room. Ooh, that was terribly misogynist. Like there wasn't, you know, it was hard for me to mm-hmm. kind of get a discussion points because I was just watching scenes. It felt like that were almost um, untethered to to a to a movie. But um, 
But we should get into the the plot recap a little bit so that hopefully um, if you have, and this movie's actually a little hard to find um, except if you don't have Amazon Prime, which is where I watched it. But I was going to try to download it off of uh, Vudu or get the disc, and it was I don't know why it's just uh, on Amazon Prime, but uh, um, and there's like not that much information on on Wikipedia either. So I guess my alternate taglines would be Tokyo Tribe, pretty groove. <laughs> um, I'm going to cheat on my first one and just say uh, only a guy with a big dick can be the boss of Tokyo. That's, that's the punchline, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's the size of a man's heart that matters. Ellipses. But that big dick, though. <laughs> I was <laughs> not he... expecting that that's where the movie was going, I have to yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. Last one. Uh, fuck the world. So, Carrie, so my, I'll tell you what. My reaction to that, which which is probably um, a little hypocritical because we do have a whole Richard talk segment on this on this <laughs> podcast, but when it was kind of just like a punchline of a dick joke, I was like, "Come on!" Like I, I don't know, it didn't that didn't strike me as um, uh, it it, it struck me as eye rolling more than uh, oh, that's hilarious that he that he built to that and i i kind of sound way more negative on the movie than i probably am in general but i i kind of found that punchline to be grown worthy as opposed to um a clever twist like something that stupid could be kind of could kind of be turned clever i didn't think it was stupid i was thinking more that i wish it felt like it was kind of a commentary on everything that had come before. And I'm just going to say up front now that basically my entire approach to this movie is thinking about it in terms of gender, because that's the only thing I could think about while watching it for good and bad reasons. Um, but that's kind of that's 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 the only really lens that I'm seeing it through. And at the end, it felt like, OK, they're kind of making a joke about how hyper masculine a lot of this has been Mm -hmm. and that's interesting but i wish that that self-awareness had come like 45 minutes earlier see and i maybe this is just you know it's sometimes it's hard to tell when you're watching a movie um made in a different language that a lot of it is uh subtitled which is just a translator's a you know approximation of of what what the language actually is in a lot of cases see i i i didn't take it as being all that self-aware now this this is my first movie by this director um it seemed to me like the it seemed more like uh juvenile like the director thought it was funny that all of this was over penis size less of a commentary like it i think that self-awareness and like that um because that that's great i love that interpretation because a lot of these movies whether it's like west side story or this kind of like gang warfare thing really does come down to like these um this kind of like fragile masculinity of people feeling like they're you know being challenged and their only resort is violence or who's taking my girl and like that kind of possessive attitudes towards um towards uh women and stuff like that and i i think if that's what the movie was going for that's and i maybe it was that's extremely clever it just it it didn't seem to me like that's what the director had in mind. Yeah, I have no idea what he was actually going for. It just occurred to me 
It was it was so just so extreme and so not what I was expecting that it felt like it had to be trying to make a statement on what had come before. But I don't know if that was just me trying to find that more than just like meeting. you've been punked. Yeah, that's what I don't it felt know. like to me. It felt like if the the Japanese version of Aston Kutcher was going to come out and be like, "Ha ha, I got you guys with a with a two hour musical dick joke." I think the pre- I think the punked interpretation of it is probably a little reductive because I think it's just commenting on what motivated Mira to get into the war. It's not motivating Kai. It's not motivating any of the other people, any of the other gangs, yeah. especially not the Gira Gira girls. Um, it, it's just motivating Kai, who uh, is at the beginning of the movie being this like horribly awful misogynist creep. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, he's this diabolical weirdo who has broken from any of the gangs and is only motivated by himself. And you realize that the only reason that he was tied up with his father's gang was not because of any sense of loyalty. It was just because of a sense of power and that could make him, it could help him overcompensate for his dick issues that he's having. it's, It's more of like a stinger almost. Like it's not part of the main plot at all. The main plot is all the gangs get reunited at the end, which I can go through the actual plot, but we're talking yeah, about why, the dick why thing. Yeah, why don't we? Right yeah. But, but um, I mean, if you want to talk about the dick thing, we can just talk about the dick thing. It's our show, Aaron. There's no rules. I mean, there there's rules, there's Peter. Rules. You, just don't follow, rule. you just don't follow them. They're guidelines. You should see my chalkboard at home. Your name is on there with so many check marks next to it. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you like... I just got to say, you are never getting recess again. (laughs) Uh, Tokyo Tribe is a rap musical by Sion Sono. And it begins with uh, our narrator introducing us to are introducing us to this this sort of post-apocalyptic Tokyo. It's more of like a pre-apocalyptic thing. It's sort of a city rattled by earthquakes and crime. And the Yakuza doesn't really exist. It's more of like all these 23 uh, spe- hyper specific gangs that have like cut up the city um and then uh we we sort of follow a female cop who is only in one scene of this movie in a very misogynistic very uncomfortable way to um try and go stop do something about the crime and she runs into mira uh the leader of the wurans which is uh you you know a, a, one of the many local gangs um, leader of the Wu runs. His father runs a larger gang. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, and Mira uh, basically assaults her. He tears her shirt open and then with a knife draws a map without actually cutting her, just traces a map, I should say, on her stomach of all the different areas of Tokyo, how they've been cut up and... Uh, which gang is in which area? So there's what? What are some highlights? There's the the Shinjuku hands, which dress like uh, what their leader dresses like a uh, samurai warlord with this big like crystal studded crown. And there's the Gira Gira girls who wear like military fatigues. There's the Nerima, which are um, only I think notable because they say Nerima the fuckers uh, in their songs. <laughs> that was uh, pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, there's the Konji Jack. There's a there's a bunch of different groups. This is all stuff that um, 
is clearly targeted towards a Japanese audience because Japanese audience would know what Shinjuku are, what Shinjuku is, would know what uh, Bukuro is, um, or just, I guess, like American nerds who have like played like the Persona games or the Yakuza games might know what these areas are. I only knew a few of them before I saw this movie. Um, but the most important gang probably for our purposes right now is the Musashino, who's a, a peaceful gang and are like audience surrogate gang. And they like mostly just hang out at this like diner and do raps about being cool friends. Uh, and you know, just hanging out, hanging out, hanging out with their family. Uh, and but no homo. Yeah, they specify no homo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, don't worry, it's a bunch of guys hanging out. We're the all about woman. love, ex- but only certain types of love. Just to be clear, it's always uh, depressing to know that you know homophobia is a global phenomenon. <laughs> Pretty well, sure the Gira Gira girls are lesbians, though. Let's be honest. Probably. Yeah, I'm pretty the, sure, and I'm well, j- very happy about that. <laughs> just, just remember, Peter. This this movie came out in a different time, 2015. Things have changed <laughs> since then. Yeah, we have to put it in the cultural context yeah, of 2015. Uh, of 2015, but yeah, uh, but they're like the peaceful gang. They're supposed to be, and, and apart from the homophobia, they're mostly a pretty easy gang to get behind as the heroes of the movie um but they're hated by mira the guy who was was tracing a knife in that policewoman's stomach um he decides to devise a trap using um one of his many brothels apparently that he and his family have throughout the city because that family uh is uh, run by this uh, guy named uh, bupa but he's not the son of bupa right yeah he's yeah, he bupa's son yeah, Bupa has two sons and uh, oh, okay. several daughters. And the um, other one's the human furniture guy. Yeah, yes. I thought that was his son because I thought he said at some point in the movie that, like, you you are more like my son than my actual son or something. I got I got the impression that he was like, it was that classic, this person's not related but is more like me than my actual son. Maybe Mira refers to Bupa in fatherly ways and Bupa refers to him yeah. in, you know, sort of paternal ways in reverse. So I've always just assumed this might be a weird lost in translation thing. Like last week with the lure, you thinking the band was like an actual family as opposed to like a symbolic family. It might be something I missed also. Um, so, but anyways, basically a son. The other son in this group uh, Nikoi, just like Mira, he has a bit of a taste for sadism, and he has a room, this red room, where he has people covered in white powder being furniture for him, people that have been captured by the gang and could serve no other purpose to the gang. Um, they didn't end up in the whorehouse, or, you know, he doesn't feel like murdering them yet. They end up furniture, you know, holding lights to be lamps or actual chairs, Uh and but the worst of the family is uh, Bupa, played by is... Wayne Newton. <laughs> <laughs> played by <laughs> played by Wayne Newton on Barbiturates and worships the devil. Bupa is just just a thing, a character that they put in some of these Japanese movies that is supposed to be the most frothing, disgusting creep you could possibly imagine. Like closer to animal than person, like an, a, a demon, like a living demon. Um, and Bupa is played by Ricky Takuichi, who is a fun Japanese character actor. Um, he's he's noted for playing big outlandish roles. I don't know if he'd be like the Nick Cage of Japan, but that's like a decent guess. Um, 
because people really like him in some smaller roles, but people also make fun of him in like uh, Battle Royale 2. He's like chomping these like uh, antacid pills, I believe, in the movie, just like as like a, a nervous reaction. So there's a scene of him with like 40 antacid pills in his mouth, just chewing like that sort of character where he's just doing these big outlandish acts. He jerks off a glass dildo at one point as if it's his actual penis. Um, he does that a he, couple times. He's really he into that dildo. He is. Um, he doesn't mind like having basically like being groped and, and sexualized by uh, this, what, his head prostitute wife? Well, isn't she know. a singer? There's there's a woman that's in the in his chamber that's supposed to be sort of like his courtesan. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure there was consent in any of those relationships. <laughs> Yeah. Enough to be marriage. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, at one point, they really give people a choice between furniture and the brothel. So, yeah, it's hard to say because, but also she is like, when the other gang invades, she doesn't like join up with the fight on the good guy's side. She, in a very badass shot, uh, shoots one of the good guys running at her. Yeah. Um, so I think she can be assumed to be just like part of the, the inner sanctum, whatever. It's all very comic. It's based on a manga, right? A literal, yes, it's literally based on a manga. They're all supposed to be these big, broad characters, but it's also mixing in that sort of musical influence where like in musicals, people just tell you how the fuck they feel. And it's one of the nice things about musicals. And it's also one of the things that pushed me away from musicals for many years. And I'm just like, oh, okay. So he's just, that's what he's. So he's sad about this. So he's going to sing about it for 10 minutes. Oh, so Bubba is running this this massive, he's the biggest gang in town. He worships the devil and this high priest he, he sort of uh, worships as well, but also hates and wants to subject because he wants to become the most evil man in Asia. He, uh, yes, he runs a prostitution ring. And uh, the next group of people we're introduced to are a group of women that he captures. You know, he sends... Basically, all of them off to be prostitutes, but if they don't work as prostitutes, they're going to be furniture, and that's, like, seen as, like, a worse thing, because, like, it's torture, but also, if it doesn't work, you get hung by Nikoi. The gang's very evil. They have a group of women captured. One of the women they have captured in their brothel is Erica, and Erica is very special, but they don't know it yet. Erica is the daughter of this high priest that uh, Bupa worships and, you know, answers to. And she's ran away from home because she was going to be sacrificed to the devil because she's a virgin and she's, you know, something, somebody close to him. So it's, you know, it's a really good sacrifice because it's, yeah, you know how sacrificing people to the devil works. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, I I took that course. (laughs) (laughs) I, hey. I took AP sacrificing people to the devil. So instead of um, dissecting a frog at the end of, of uh, your course, you like what? Like cut up a goat? No, we just took a nice tour of the volcano. It was all theoretical. We oh, didn't do okay, I, okay. I didn't take applied sacrificing people to the devil. It's a good point. Actually, I, I asked a very stupid question. You would have. Yeah, you have to be a member of the high satanic clergy to actually perform the sacrifice. Otherwise, you might not. It might not count. Yeah, and I, I couldn't get into that because I paid a traffic ticket ticket on time once, so... Ooh, they'll get you. They'll get yeah. you on that one. So, uh, anyways, <clears throat> uh, while this is happening, obviously Mira fucking hates the Musashino, the peaceful gang. Anyone, and he particularly hates Kai, um, who we will find out later has a big dick. 
And and he has a um, small. Just keep one. that in mind. Just just keep that in mind. He's trying to seduce Kai and, and other members of the the peaceful gang into going to the brothel to go into an ambush. And he uses Erica as bait. Obviously, at this point, he does not realize Erica's value uh, to the movie or you know to anything. She's just a pretty girl. And that they, is good they yeah they go there because they just see her picture posted online, right? Yes, yes. Like the new girl so, at the brothel. So yeah. there's a whole scuffle. Some of the guys go over to the brothel. Kai says, wait, they can't go over there. That's incredibly dangerous. Kai tries to save them. A couple of the guys get murdered in the process. So what that does essentially is motivates the Musashino, who've been a peaceful gang, to uh, move against Bupa and the Wurans and that whole organization. Um, at the same time, the high priest says, get my daughter back, explains that aspect of the plot. Um, and, he sa- and he says, use this huge army and use my two enforcers, these two badasses, and, you know, go destroy all the gangs. And Kai unites all the gangs together against uh, Bupa and his and his gangs, and they move on um, Bupa. And basically the last half hour of the movie is a battle against him. All of the, you know, the inner sanctum, the royal family gets murdered except for Mira. Um, and, uh, but Mira does get defeated. And at the end of the movie, there is a, uh, discussion of, uh, Mira being mad that Kai has a bigger dick than him. And, and then he gets mad that he has a bigger dick than the, one of the enforcers that also joined the battle. So he turns on the enforcer. It's just this big, wild 30 minute bloody melee with all these, spinning fans and a gatling gun and this like forest of like bamboo with blades it's this is this wonderfully choreographed it's scion sono doing what he does best which is basically when the third act hits just keep your head down because everything is going to go crazy um it's the same thing he does also in a very very awesome movie called um, why don't you play in hell i've heard that i've not seen that but i've heard that everyone talks about the 40 minutes are a little slow but it gets really good. That's been like the the chorus of praise on that one. And comparing it to why don't we play you play in hell? Also, the beginning of the movie, it doesn't seem like anything is really gonna ever come together. Same thing in why don't we play? Why don't you play in hell? It seems like none of these elements are actually gonna come together. And then some point at some point in the second act, everything just jams together, and then you're in it for the rest of the movie. I am gonna do a little aside on this part though, um, with the with the battle royale portion. Um, Because this always frustrates me in a lot of these kind of Japanese movies that, like, the amount of work they go into the design and the aesthetic and the set design and all that stuff must have been insanely costly. This movie looks like it's from, like, another planet. Yeah. And then then it's all digital blood, which stands out as so fake. Like, I, I don't know how much a practical blood effects cost. But I have to imagine it's less than maintaining a wall full of bal- – like a hallway filled with balloons that have been blown up and and, and completely covering all the walls. I just – So I, a lot – so there's a bunch of problems with it. I also don't like digital blood, but it's the same reason they don't have it in – they have digital blood in John Wick and Atomic Blonde and all of those. Yep. Very kinetic, very violent, very fast action movies um, and why it's so impressive. Also, there's some of it in the Universal Soldier movies that I really love. Um, the last ones. The early ones are shitty, but the like the last two. There's some of it in that and it's because – 
sometimes the reset cost on a take is so large that the idea of actually setting up squibs for each person, firing them off, and then not only having to clean clothes, but clean the environment would take half a day. And these movies, Japanese movies are made fast, like very fast. Like even main, even the big movies are made on an indie movie sort of pace. Um, that's one of the reasons that Japanese movies don't cost what Hollywood movies cost, because Hollywood movies can take their fucking time relative in a relative sense. And also why um, Mike just finished a movie while we started recording this podcast. Cyan Sono and Takashi Mike are sort of lumped in together as sort of provocateur kings of Japanese shock cinema. And they both sometimes have used CGI blood digital effects for the same reason. And that's because they're shooting these movies so fucking fast and they'd rather focus on fight choreography than they would getting, you know, actual physical blood in there. I know, Aaron, we talk about how much we love 80s movies, and part of the reason we love them is that they were they had to reset every scene. Yeah. But like it's just part of the territory with these movies. Yeah, that, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. It wasn't um it's just it's just so no, funny when you watch out. I mean when you watch a movie like this that has this incredible like it does feel like no expense was spared on set design and costuming and all that stuff. And then to have these kind of like little too fakey CGI blood. It's like, you guys clearly had some level of budget to put all this stuff together. But anyways, so the, you should it, probably wrap up the It's frustrating in all these movies. It's frustrating yeah. in John Wick 2 also. Like, it, it's it, just It works a little better though because I think it's, it's ha- like the shadows and the way, it doesn't call itself out as much as like, this looks like suddenly the director of the Scorpion King came in and shot a blood scene, you know? But anyway. (laughs) I don't think it's that bad. I don't think it's that bad. I think it's just like, clearly draws your attention when you've seen and are really into action movies, when you've seen a million of them and you're just like, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, it's just normalized now. CGI blood spurts. The movie actually ends with a big uh, rejoining of all the gangs. All the gangs saying, Let's get this together. Let's stop fighting. This is bullshit. We've taken down the guy that, you know, is actually truly evil. Our differences, our diversity, uh, what makes us all, um, you know, badass is something to be cherished and not something that we need to fear in each other. That sort of thing. Yep. And then a dick measuring contest. And he's like, what? We met that one time. Yeah. And I saw how big your dick was. That's why I hate you. And then and at the very end, they dramatize it. And you actually see all of the events <laughs> of how he figured out how big the other guy's dick was. Yep. I do, <laughs> Which was I do kind like of the, hilarious. The yeah, that's that part I like a lot. Like, they did, a, <laughs> they did like, a Unsolved Mysteries, like, <laughs> reenactment of the when he saw his dick. And it's like, then now, looked down oh, his own now dick. all the pieces come together. Now we understand why yeah. he was so worried about his penis size. I do really like... Um, in these kind of Japanese movies where they take the sort of like juvenile sense of comedy and pair it up with true like true craftsmanship like Sion Sono is a very cool filmmaker totally. who knows how to put together these really amazing yeah. set pieces and, T- and Takashi Miike also does not to reduce Japanese film to all you know these shock movies it's something I need to call out people no, probably are thinking I think that this but- is, I think this is in the same way like indie horror is like an American genre that we talk about like 
kind of like over the top shock cinema is definitely a Japanese like genre that they they do a lot of these types of movies. I don't want to wholly contribute to the idea that all Japanese movies are fucking weird. Japanese people make the same boring ass soap operas that we make here with no blood and guts and tentacle porn. Don't worry. It's just the stuff that we tend to get over here is the interesting stuff. And the interesting stuff are big bloody samurai movies and action movies with Yakuza guys blowing each other's heads off and and movies about rapping musical gangs that also talk about dick sizes and um, Gatling gun fan blades. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff gets made in Japan. It's a true film industry. It's not just the crazy weird shit. So this, I'll be honest. So this movie was a little bit of a, of a mixed bag for me. Like I wanted to love this. The aesthetic, the the way. I mean, the I can't even go into the amount of detail that they put in, like creating a a kind of an alternate universe version of Tokyo that has like you know chandeliers hanging from vans and it feels like every costume is meticulously designed every street corner has like an idea behind it like this is what we're doing here and it's impeccable like it's all gorgeous i love the idea of just a constantly shifting beat with a dj running it that everyone kind of just um adds their own verses to throughout the course of a two-hour movie like that's amazing i love it but then a, some of the, the juvenile stuff at the end seems like, uh, like I said, just feels like, not to repeat myself, but juvenile. It is it is trying to do the anti-a-stinker thing, and I don't think it fully succeeds, although I really like Carrie's interpretation. And then the rampant and unrelenting uh, misogyny and physical assaulting and uh, literally characters saying to each other, um, go ahead, rape me. Um you know, that that stuff is just so I know sometimes it's 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 part of these kind of extreme uh, cinema type stuff, but it's just it it feels like there's a five star movie in here. And I it, it just kind of sucked that I didn't that I found as much to I found more to love than hate. But the stuff I hated, I hated quite a bit. Um, Carrie, what'd you make of this thing? I thought it was really gorgeous. I enjoyed the experience of watching it a lot i was never bored but what i will say is that so i watched it in full a couple days ago i i wanted to watch it twice so i tried to watch it a couple weeks ago and the opening scene is so upsetting that i couldn't i needed time before I could actually watch the whole movie. I'm trying to figure out what exactly about it in this movie is getting under my skin more than it tends to because I watch a lot of movies about violence against women. I'm kind of like, I'm interested in that as a a thing in film to express, but it was just so aggressively callous in this film that it was really hard for me to engage with it. And the fact that it opens in such a violent way already kind of set me back from it. So I think that if that wasn't an element, I would have liked it a lot more. I also think aside from that, and you talked about this a little bit in the Lure episode last week, the idea of a musical in a language that you don't speak where you're reading probably inaccurate English subtitles there's there's an element that is lost that 
I wish I understood. I wish I understood the rap the way it was meant to be understood. Cause I know I didn't. Um, yeah. and I think that that would be a very different experience. So I, for, for what it was, I liked it. I was definitely at a distance from it and it's definitely going to be a hard movie for me to talk about because it's like that, that violence of it set me back far enough that I, I, I can't, I can't quite meet it as much as I want to, but I, I'm glad I saw it. Um, there's enough there that's worthwhile that I'm glad this is a film that's out there and I get why it works for a lot of people. Um, the stuff that I liked, I liked a lot, like Aaron said. I, I think you're dead on the money when it comes to the callousness of it because I understand and, and Peter, you and I have had that because of the type of the movies we cover, we've had this conversation so many times on so many of our episodes about like – casually adding, you know, uh, violence against women or rape into movies as a way to, like, increase a level of danger. But this – I think this movie takes it to – or to or or to underline that, yep, these are bad guys when 99.99% of the movies don't need to do – there's other ways to demonstrate the evil intention of people without being as um, – uh, fetishistic in their in their like objectification and violence against women, but this movie takes it. You're right. This this opening scene is so unnecessarily callous and is so clearly there not to demonstrate how unhinged someone is, but like, and it's also like frustrating too because like introducing all the gangs and the way the the um the way the the gang's name appears on the screen and you get a little taste of what their deal is and they get their own little rap is great all that stuff is great but the fact that the framing device for that is someone putting a knife down a you know up a woman's um torso and exposing her breasts in front like it it is just it's it feels so callous so unnecessary and just and just extremity or, ex, you know, extremeness. It felt a little bit like it was meant to titillate. And I think yep. that is the I think that's a big issue is that I think the movie knows that rape is bad and that non-consensual knife play is bad. I don't think it knows that um, having female police officers in miniskirts and positioning the camera in such a way that it lingers on body parts in a in a in a ob so objectifying way that there is no other interpretation that you are supposed to think it's hot um yep. i don't think it realizes that that's bad so it knows that it knows that what's happening within the world of the film is wrong but the actual act of what the camera is doing there's a disconnect yeah no that that's the perfect way to put it Absolutely. And that's why it's such a anger inducing way to start the film. I was kind of, you know, I'll be honest, Peter, like I was kind of surprised. I'm like, this is one of Peter's favorite movies. And as I kept watching, it made a lot more sense. But that that opening scene is just so off putting that getting a balance back into finding some enjoyment. You know, if I I was pretty, pretty done with it for the first 10 minutes and then it kind of slowly would win me back only to lose me a bit and then like i said it really just there's the, it would be such an easy thing for this movie for me to love it but there's some pretty hateful stuff in here that is 
that that makes it tough. I don't know. What Peter? Why don't you? I'm not, I'm not trying to make you answer for, for for it or anything. I hope it doesn't feel like that. But I but I am curious your thoughts on all that stuff. I mean, I share the same concerns with you guys. Um, I there's only really two scenes in the movie that bother me on a misogyny level, though. Um, and maybe you guys will point out other ones that maybe I wasn't seeing or maybe I just they just ran right by me. But there's only really two scenes that bother me. And that scene is 100 percent one of them. And when I was watching it this time, I was like, oh, Jesus, this scene goes on so long. It's not because I don't want to watch the um, the rapper tribes get uh, introduced. I love that part of it. Yeah. It's that it's it's being non-consensually uh, drawn on a woman's stomach. And like literally, if the, if the goal was to titillate or the goal was to sort of make Japanese people look at Tokyo a different way, all they had to do to make that like not a disgusting thing was to have it be a a consensual act or you know something that could be interpreted as a consensual act right i guess no one that hangs out with mira no woman that hangs out with mira um is probably fully consensual because of how he's just surrounded by prostitutes and women that have to hang out with him <laughs> women ogle him and stuff but but i'm saying something that's actually like you know could resemble something consensual <laughs> would have actually made um the scene a lot less gross because it would have just been like this sort of like kinky like we're gonna make you look at tokyo in a way you've never thought about it It, it's actually more like this this woman's flat stomach and it would have been objectifying it would have been gross it would have not helped us establish that mira is a bad guy and so like there's like no way to kind of refit the scene in a way that's not misogynist is what i'm saying no, like there's kind of the character doesn't work and the and the actual imagery and, and the way it's shot like there's kind of no way to put those pieces together that doesn't gross you out i i don't know i think you could do it um where he just grabs the police officer and just then explains why you know the police <laughs> leave us alone like you know just points to yeah you know Sorry, I was imagining him grabbing her and then out of nowhere pulling down one of those like school maps of Tokyo. Well, there's, I mean, <laughs> there, on a drawstring. There is a way to shoot like a non consensual scene like that where you're physically grabbing somebody, but you're not showing their breasts yes. and their exposed stomach for minutes at a time in yes. a way that feels like porn. Yeah. Yes. When he's specifically like squeezing her breasts too. Yeah. So it's not just like I'm using this as a topographical map so I can show geo- geographic areas. Like he's also like just just uh, molesting her and beyond beyond the uh, the map drawing. Yeah, yeah, and and there are there's a lot of rape and sexual assault in Japanese movies, maybe more than American movies. And I don't entirely understand culturally why I can't speak to that. So all I can do is interpret it as an American from an outsider perspective, but also to sort of balance that out. I'm also getting enjoyment out of novelty in this movie that Japanese people might not find novel. Like there's specific sort of uh, artistic choices the movie makes in other scenes that I'm getting joy out of that maybe Japanese people would not find as novel. 
Sure. So it, it balance it it, it it not saying it balances out to make it a great movie. I'm saying it balances out in a way that like, yes, I might not understand specifically the context of this scene, and I am judging it from my outsider perspective, but also my outsider perspective is giving this movie extra points. <laughs> like <laughs> the fact that this isn't an amazing So yeah, I agree. hundred percent. I would not argue with you that, that that scene is gross. I also think Mira doing a rape rap later in the movie. Yeah. Uh, very, very gross. The fact that, you know, this is a movie that doesn't just have songs exclusively linked together. It's it'll have an action scene that just has music in the background, a beat in the background, and then it'll have a song uh, means that that scene could have been handled entirely differently. The, the movie wasn't the movie wasn't bound to have a rape song. <laughs> well, um, yeah, <laughs> but I, I mean, I have to have it. <laughs> I go to Carrie's point like. It is it is clearly meant to titillate beyond just them trying to underline that these are bad guys like it is. And that that makes it like just just doing the these are bad guys. Look how bad they are. They rape people. They sexually assault people. That's usually shitty that we, we've talked about that a million times before. It's the Death Wish threes and the and this movie where it's like yeah they want to show you they're bad guys but they also want to get the audience excited that's where it really crosses over into deplorable I mean you basically just have to look at how all of the women in the film are presented where aside from the the one kind of older DJ lady and who's awesome and the two kind of butch Giragira like head women the women are all very skimpily dressed in ways that are not practical necessarily to what they're doing um it doesn't seem like especially the police officer like that doesn't seem like an outfit that she would have been wearing to do police work um and that carries over with basically all of the women that you see in the movie and it felt like just this air of objectification that there are a couple moments that are so over the top beyond the pale violently bad but beyond that there's just this air of objectifying titillation etc that sure we can say happens in a lot of movies but it just felt it's pretty omnipresent it felt oppressive in this one i agree most of the women in the movie are dressed skimpily um one of the main women in the movie is a sort of tomboy character i'm not exactly sure what term to use but she dresses in sort of like a workman's uniform and and is confused for uh, a boy um, and that is Erica's friend, uh, who's also good at Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. Um, she's not dressed that way. And I wish there were more characters like that in that, obviously. Um, but the weird cultural context that I interpreted some of the more casual misogyny, casual objectification in is the um, the scope of rap music. Mm-hmm. And that Japan has an old, old rap tradition that goes back to the 80s. Uh, it's sort of developed concurrently with America, though it's obviously heavily influenced by America. And that, you know, the, the baggy clothes, the graffiti culture, all of these different aspects are not just something that Japan lifted wholesale from African-Americans, black people in America. This is something that they developed on their own and also 
it also co-opted from from black people in America. And one of those aspects is is the rap music culture, scantily dressed women talking about how powerful they are. Totally. And the movie is full of that. And whether or not you can stomach that is I think should be concurrent with whether or not you can stomach a Cardi B music video. That's sort of a uh, the objectification is often shot from a perspective like, yes, these women are sexy, but that gives them power, which is a whole troubling, problematic thing that I still haven't wrapped my head around. But like, that's just part of rap music culture. It's a massive issue. This is one of the reasons that this movie is going to be hard to tiptoe around because I will definitely misspeak 900 times. But um, I wanted to do it because this is a wild, crazy movie with all of these these elements smash together and it climbs so high on the ladder but on its way up the ladder it steps on a lot of fingers and i don't think it needed to do that before we address that part specifically i do want to call out that we are forgetting my favorite character in the movie who i don't think has a lot of objectification going on which is the beatbox and the beatbox she's my favorite beatbox too. Girl. i have she, that in my she notes she's be- the best Yes, she is so, the best character in the movie. Yeah. I have her. I have. I have in my notes. Beatbox lady is my favorite character in all of film. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. She I have is beatboxing tea service girls. My favorite. Yep. <laughs> Written down. That's that's something that we all agree about. I would have been happy with just a movie about her. She is the absolute best, and she does not get objectified, and looks like she is having a blast. And no one at any point even seems – I shouldn't even say she doesn't get objectified because she's barely acknowledged, which I actually think is a very clever touch of this movie. Not not in that way that, like, she's not acknowledged, but it's like all of a sudden she is almost like some omnipresent uh, god figure who puts pause on the movie to deliver like, I'm going to go beatbox through and deliver tea on pause. It's she's amazing. So I good. love it so much. She, she needed to be in way more of the movie. She's yeah. amazing. Yeah, she's uh she's the hero in the movie. It's also great <laughs> that she is not um she is not treated like a prostitute within Boopa's camp. No. She is treated like she's the beatbox girl. <laughs> she's she's a singular unit. She's not she she doesn't serve a secondary purpose. She just sort of like walks around and beatboxes. She gives backbeats to another woman in the the royal family mm-hmm. who just sings. That scene was very cool. Yeah. 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 That's some of my favorite Her two music scenes in the are movie. so good. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're so the best. I am extremely delighted that you guys are on the same page with this. <laughs> so so the beatbox girl was one of the converting factors when I was watching this movie originally where I was like, oh, this is something special. This is something weird. Like no other movie would have give so much time to beatbox girl and yet leave me hungry for more. So Gary, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, and Aaron, I did not want to um, disregard the misogyny of the movie. I just want to, I wanted to try and place it into the, um, I want to tell you what actually bothered me. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to also place some of the, you said there's like an air of objectification in the movie and how in my mind or how I think, um, that stuff could be interpreted. The- to circle back to what you were saying about Cardi B and Beyonce are in charge of their image. They are, in terms of like, if you're watching Lemonade, like Beyonce is the author of that visual experience. She is the one deciding how she's going to look, how she's going to use her sexuality. When she does that, I think it feels very empowering because it's very clear where it's coming from. 
as far as I'm aware, this film has a entirely male lead creative team, and that came across. Yeah, this that's feels very, more like watching true. a like Nelly or Ja Rule music video. Yeah, than, I, I, than, uh, I think I think the authorship matters more than just seeing the image because the image, the the context matters a lot. And yes, it's a hundred percent true that like in terms of like Japanese culture, there is a ton that all of us are going to be missing, and like that that caveat has to be mentioned because there's. Yeah, there, there, there's just a huge amount of cultural context that none of us are going to get. Yeah. But at least in terms of hip hop as it's seen in an American context, there's a huge difference between scantily clad women in a video by and about women versus a video by and about men that have women in the background. And this yep. felt more like the latter to me. I'm finding enough in the movie that I love that just makes the the the, the few instances in the movie that I can't get over just very glaring. But like, I don't really. It's 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 hard to call them out without actually just being without sounding like I fucking hate the movie. <laughs> I, I don't fucking hate the movie, but I, I, it needs to be called out. Otherwise, it's not really what our show is. I don't hate the movie either. I mean, yes, I don't think I any agree. of us do. Frame where I'm coming from, too. Like, I really worry that I'm sounding too negative right now, and I don't want to because there's a lot that I did like here. It's just that seeing certain imagery from the get-go that early on, and then it perpetuates throughout to varying degrees for me personally, is just something that I have a hard time getting past. Yeah. I can watch a really thoughtful movie about sexual violence where, like, that's the topic and not feel this shaken up over it because it's, like, thoughtfully engaging with it all the way through. It's more stuff like this that it's, like, it's meant to be fun, but there's also this presence of objectification, violence, etc. that isn't being directly commented on. It's just there and it's just assumed like, well, this is just part of the package so you have to like it or not. That for me personally as a viewer, that just makes it slightly harder to get into the rest of it. So I'm not, I'm really not trying to sound like I hate it because I absolutely did not hate it. It's just, yeah. This this is just a, a, a factor that makes it kind of separating. When we got to the knife scene, I was like, I've made a huge mistake. I'm so sorry. Maybe Carrie and Aaron watch this. Um, Can I tell 100%. you something, though? I was I was planning because here's the thing. I um, not to like kiss your ass or anything, but I really love the way you guys talk about sexual violence on your show. Um, that was like a big thing that hooked me when I started listening to your show is like how you approach material like this. So I was kind of looking forward to at some point getting to, you know, guest on a movie that tackled this kind of material because I really like talking about it too. And this one just happened to be like slightly more aggressive than I was expecting. But <laughs> you, you, but I'm you wished also, on the monkey's paw. But I'm yeah. also like I'm also kind of excited because like I really I really enjoy how I appreciate how you guys address this so yeah and i agree because the only thing that comes to mind is the rape scene in death wish 3 of like the level of 
callous sexual violence in depiction. And there's a lot of stuff that bumps up against this, but that that opening scene is was still shocking, having watched countless genre movies that handle it uh, terribly. Um, before we get into um, some of the stuff we, we liked or something like that, the one other question I kind of have on all this stuff, I think satire and humor sometimes doesn't translate well internationally when you're going from uh, a language you don't speak because the nuance is in the actual language. It's not in the translations. So f- some of the stuff, it was hard to tell if it was supposed to be mocking or satirically commenting on a certain type of person or whether it was supposed to be straight face. And I, you know, just to refer back to the the frat gang and they're kind of like, we all love each other, but just to be clear, we're not gay because that's gross. Like, that's a Lonely Island joke if I would have seen it in, you know, in if that was an English version of it. Like, maybe it's not a clever Lonely Island joke, but this idea of like these, these people that are, you know, uh, proselytizing about how important love and peace is, but then they also are just randomly, uh, not randomly, but like excluding, um, make a point for no reason to stop for exclusion and uh, bigot comments. If if that was an American movie, I maybe I'll tell, oh, that's that's satirical. That's supposed to be commenting on that type of on that type of organization and that type of like frat type environment, which that gang very much is. It's hard for me to tell in this movie if it's supposed to be a joke or whether it's supposed to be straight face. And and I said the same thing about the ending. Like it feels like the ending. Like Carrie, I love your interpretation of that. That's. But I there's there is a language barrier that's that's making me miss how much of this is supposed to be nuanced satirical takes on on some of these uh, components that I find objectionable, not including this the all the sexual violence stuff, but some of the other stuff and how much um, how much of it is I'm supposed to be. No, we're just this is our sincere stuff. There's no there's no satire. There's no twist. It is we're what you see is is what you get. And I don't. I'm probably not going to know because I don't speak the language, but that is also something that did occur to me as I was watching. Like, is this a joke or is this serious? I tried to do some reading up on it after I watched it because I knew like, okay, I just experienced this. I don't really know how to process it. I need to read what other people have said about it. And there seems to be so much of a debate as to what the, what tone the film is trying to strike and how much of it is supposed to be feminist versus misogynist versus, you know, making commentaries on XYZ, that that in itself makes me like the film so much more, is that it is fostering all of these possible interpretations and room for debate, that it's not clearly one thing or another. It's 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 People are having these questions about it, and that itself, I think, is very cool. Whether, you know, the answer is satisfactory or not is something else. But, you know, I I, I think it's interesting that there's that much room for wondering about it. You're right. The reviews for this, and I guess all I read was American reviews. Um, I don't know if you did the same, but they were all over the place. Yeah. Like, this, this is gross. This is offensive or... This is genius. Um, and it was, I mean, 
it's one of those movies where you see 52% on Rotten Tomatoes, why Rotten Tomatoes sucks, because you look at that and maybe assume that it's a general critic critical uh, shrug, but it's not. There are some fiery reviews trying to make sense of this, this kind of crazy batshit movie. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes is very bad. You have to, like, block out the percentage and just be like, I'm u- purely using this as a review aggregator. Like, I'm purely using this as an easy way to get links. Like, Well, also, I don't like tomatoes in general. It's one of the few foods that make me gag. Oh. So, rotten ones? Gross. <laughs> you're you're gross. just gagging all over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Carrie, do you eat tomatoes? I like little, like, cherry tomatoes. I don't like normal tomatoes, but I like tomato products. Like tomato juice, tomato sauce. Delicious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. V8? Let's get a good V8. That's great. I am big on all tomatoes, but the weird thing is when, like, they're being served just as slices, I can be very picky. And I don't know what that, what it is about tomatoes that they can just, maybe tomatoes are the Tokyo tribe of, of fruits because they can reach such high highs and such low lows entirely depending on what the fuck you do with it. Because tomato sauce and, like, a pizza is often the best part. But like uh, a, a, a underripe tomato on a sandwich can be uh, disastrous for the sandwich. It can be the worst part of the sandwich. Here's here's the best part though about tomatoes. You just take the stuff you don't like and throw it out really easily. Unlike <laughs> Tokyo say- Tribe. <laughs> the only thing I can think about regarding tomatoes is last weekend I went to a bat mitzvah that had a Bloody Mary bar. That's brilliant. Which is the first time in my life that's ever happened wow but bloody mary just, should be at all occasions yeah, yeah i've been to a few places with mimosa bars oh and, good and this is this is an improvement i think <laughs> <laughs> i think alcohol should basically be served everywhere i but, agree <laughs> i mean they even have it at church at that point they it's should have it true. at the dmv yeah they should have it at public parks and water fountains instead of water uh, I'll tell you what, the priest hates it though when I go, you got some white? Uh, <laughs> not a fan of red. Pretty heavy for a Sunday morning. You have a nice Pinot Grigio or Pinot Grigio. Please tell me you've like, done that. No, I, I wish. Oh, that's a shame. Um, I, just haven't, I haven't gone to church in a very long time, but I like the idea of like blood of Christ. Would you like the blood of Christ or the water of Christ? <laughs> that's the, the white is the water. Let's kind of go through some of the stuff. I know we, we definitely... Uh, there's a lot of stuff there to talk about. Uh, with with the time we have left, might be worth going through some of the stuff besides the awesome beatboxing tea delivery uh, person so that good. we love. Because there is a lot of, I mean, it's it's a very unique movie. I mentioned this before. I really like this idea of almost you know an entire musical that's a freestyle rap that they just keep changing up the beat throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it feels like. They, I mean, they have a literal DJ who is awesome in this movie. And it just, it's not like, it's not like here's a bunch of different uh, raps or songs or whatever what else that say? makes it. We're in the ass end of hell or something. We're yes. going through the ass yeah. of hell. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and it just, it just kind of keeps changing. And there are moments where the, the people stop rapping, but there's almost no spoken dialogue in the sense that there it's not accompanied by music it gets a little tricky because obviously uh you know when someone's rapping they're they're not exactly singing but most of it is kind of in that 
it just feels like one big song. It feels like buying a girl talk album almost, you know, where um, where it's just one thing that keeps transitioning into the next thing. Um, and it kind of forms like one giant um, mix and and rhymes and all that kind of stuff. And, it, and also that that bleeds into the photography. So Sono mm. does something similar to what he does in Why Don't You Play in Hell. He does know how to do the quick choppy cuts and and how to, uh, you know, switch the camera around to keep you, you know, close to the action and, you know, make jokes hit. But he also is really good at making these big flowing long take camera shots. The movie literally begins on an opening shot of two kids playing, uh, sort of playing in the muck of Tokyo. And he's like, is that a burger down there? Go get me the burger. And then it pans down the side of a building and then over this group of people that are talking. And it just introduces you to one neighborhood where there's so much vibrancy and life through this long take. And it's sort of indicative of what the movie will be, where it's going to sort of pass over all these characters and let you get a feel of them. But, like, maybe don't get too attached because we're moving along, like we're trucking along. Um, And, uh, yeah, I I love the way that the neighborhood stuff is shot and the way that fights are shot. Obviously, I don't like the way that uh, sexual violence is shot. Um, Because it is grossly mishandled and it tries to sexualize stuff that uh, should not be sexualized. But the the fights are also very, they're very good at like, oh, this needs to be a long take because you need to feel the sort of exhaustion of two people going at each other. But also we need to have these these, uh, fights that are quick cuts, you know shot from behind a character's back and then, you know, another shot of him squaring up against somebody. He takes them down and then the camera switches over to another angle. Like, the, the movie is very good at staying dynamic and not just committing to the one-trick pony, which is Science Sono is very good at long takes. Thinking about this as a musical, I feel like a, one of the issues with, with some musicals is that they feel kind of stagey and they don't feel cinematic enough. And that's why this as a musical feels so exciting is that it's so cinematic. It's such a spectacle, which is like the best kind of musical thing to have. It's just like the excess is just everywhere. And, and if you are someone who enjoys musicals, like that should be what you're looking for you know, at, at least in a cinematic sense, and it's just stunning and perfect. I completely agree. There's a there's a really bright sense of spectacle. Like, he wants to keep things snappy. He wants to have big production numbers. He wants to have 100 people in a scene, and it's not 100 people faked. It's actually 100 actors. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the set design is really great. Aaron, what did you make of, like, how the movie looks? It, so it reminds me a lot of Walter Hill's The Warriors, which should not shock anyone because it's clearly oh hugely yeah it's clearly inspired by that. But I so we talked about this a lot in um, way back in September of 2016 when we did um, our uh, what was it called batshit month <laughs> batshit yeah. bug fuck bug bug nuts bug we, nuts. <laughs> It's good that our uh, naming of months has not progressed in any <laughs> The name of the month way. was, we want to do these four movies. Yeah, and they're they're all generally crazy. I love any movie. Um, it's one of the things I really like about Southland Tales, uh, which is a movie I'm mixed on in general. 
But uh, Richard Kelly put so much effort into the smallest things to kind of give a every scene this sense of a somewhat off-kilter alternate world that we're used to. And there was so much detail put into that. And this reminded me a lot, uh, besides the Warriors, of, of that, of that kind of like that obsessive desire to make every frame kind of pop with all these things that um, – would would fascinate you and would catch your eye if you had time to, but the movie's going so fast, you don't even have a chance to register. And what that does is it creates an overly sense of like a that this is an eerie world that's that's not quite ours because everything is so uh, aesthetically different that it it sort of it sort of throws you off kilter in a way that I think it's, it's trying to do. And I love, I love that kind of like attention to detail that you, you can't even quite, you don't have time to, to uh, process, but the fact that it's there creates a, creates a tone. And that's hard to do. Like the amount of set designing and costume designing that, that, that allows for that much creativity is something that I 100% applaud one of my favorite things about this movie. Yeah, and that's something that people describe Tokyo as. A sort of sensory overload, a, a bomb to the senses where you're like, I want to go in this place, I want to go in this place, I want to go in this place because, well, these sections of Tokyo, um, because of the density of people and the density of commerce, it's created this, this situation where people are sort of uh, finding ways to cut out a business in a tiny space or people are finding a way to um, sort of like express themselves in uh, a space that 50 other people also have to express themselves in. So it's it's a very, that's a way that Tokyo has been described to me as. I've never actually been, but um, that's, that's, I think it's perfect to sort of make the city feel alive and real and make it matter when all these gangs come together because you're like, oh, they're not just fighting over like, that's one of the problems with, this is like a pre-apocalyptic movie. Southland Tales is a very good, very good comparison point, Aaron. Um, it's like a pre-apocalyptic movie. The post-apocalyptic movies, sometimes when people have these big battles, I'm like, what are you fighting about? Just like go have the desert on the other part of the desert. Just there's other desert over there. Just do that. Like, oh, so you need to live in this like abandoned school. Why don't you live in like an abandoned school in a different school district? Like, I don't care. <laughs> like, but like, That's so practical. <laughs> moving school districts, uh, if you live in one to the other, is very difficult, Peter. I, I don't know. I would imagine. And you have to find a new – you probably have to find like a new babysitter yeah, maybe because they don't want to – get a school board to approve it. I mean, even for gangs, that's just not practical advice, it's I think. Just, you know what? <laughs> I take everything back. I just said. Um, Carrie, what do you think? Make it like the aesthetic of it, the sort of like cobbled together but like – clearly lived in oh it's i mean it's just gorgeous it's it, it, it felt every neighborhood has its own personality and and it feels distinct and it, it just just watching it a part of the reason why i felt like i could kind of not worry so much about understanding all the plot details is that the visual cues told you everything that you need to know about where you were at a given time the neighborhoods all feel so specific and so beautiful and perfectly articulated that that's enough 
to give you a sense of where you are, what you're supposed to be focusing on, etc. I really, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I mean, even even in the scenes that were harder to watch, like the brothel that had all of the balloons on the walls, I loved yeah. that touch. That was gorgeous. Like that's gr- I, I, everything like that. I thought was just great. Oh, I mean, yeah, and the punishment for popping one, I imagine, is pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> rough. Yeah. Someone, someone's getting a paddling. Bupa's kingdom. If we want to sort of transition yes. over there, Bupa's kingdom, stunning. It, it, it's this gaudy gold access thing. It's this like thing of opulence. Um, it's like that. Remember those? Uh, I don't remember what the company was, but there was that uh, those commercials about the Russian oligarch who's like opulence. I has it, and everything is just covered in gold, and he has like yeah, a mini Donald giraffe. Trump. Yeah, right. His apartment, Donald Trump his core. Bupa is yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. So is King Koopa. Oh, uh, Penguin from Batman Returns is Donald Trump. Um, Donald Trump from Home Alone Two is Donald Trump. Man, like if you've ever seen Don- like Donald Trump's. Uh, He's got a gold-plated toilet. Like, that's what his condo looks like. That is Bupa's style. He has his face on a wall like um, a, a, an authoritarian, because he is. And But his actual kingdom is, like, po- apocalyptic all outside, and then just a gold chamber with a gold throne. His Mira has, like, gold guns. Like, it's, it's all just this, like insane ostentatious persona he has a giant fan blade in his his house for house defense i guess should have read the manual on that one a little better yeah yeah that didn't end so well yeah he got hoisted by his own petard assuming a petard is a massive fan blade yeah i think that's the name i think the table is designed very last suppery because yeah it works great when people are there for them to review and, and talk to, but I'm assuming if they're just having a meal at that table, I hope some people move some chairs to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Bupa also has, not just as he, he has a gold Gatling gun and, you know, women beatboxing and singing around him. He also has a box that has um, cigars and fingers just mixed in throughout. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, he chews on the fingers... And gets to seems to get more enjoyment out of them than the cigars. Well, he's definitely a cannibal. Yeah, he's like that's that's his thing. They all are. Yeah, they all eat people. Yeah, they meet the technical definition of cannibalism, <laughs> as far as I understand it. <laughs> but I just it makes sense that that the fingers would be more appealing than the cigars if that's your deal. Yeah. So Bupa has a daughter named Kesha. Apart from her, Keisha, I believe. Um, apart from her. Women are prostitutes, furniture, or meat. Or beatboxers. Or beatboxers. Yeah. I don't think we have talked enough about the furniture room. Because holy yeah. shit. That was amazing. It's Cyan Sono getting to do his Clockwork Orange thing. It, it's, it is it's, so Clockwork Orange. It's a, yes, it's a, it's a bright red room filled with white figures that are, you know, perfectly still. Just like in Clockwork Orange at the Malacca Milk Bar, there's the the woman statue that if you like push on something, milk comes out of the nipple of a boob. It's it's Clockwork Orange to a T. It's Sionsono being like, well, I guess we need to have fucked up rooms in this <laughs> fucked up kingdom. So, so here's what was so crazy about that 
that room. I loved it too from an aesthetic choice. I again, I love all the little random weird stuff, the cigar finger boxes and the furniture rooms and all that stuff. Um balloon hallways. I all that stuff is great. I I love that. But the furniture room is so funny because it almost I don't know what this says about me, but at some point they show the furniture room enough that I kind of accepted that these were that this was the furniture. Like I kind of I I yeah, I supposed to. Well, exactly. Like it it dehumanized them enough because you see them as furniture that it didn't occur to me when I forget who goes in there to fight him, and he's like, okay, well, furniture. Yeah, when when they when when Kai goes in to fight uh, uh, Bupa's son, and he's like, "Okay, great, you're here in my furniture room. You remember these are all people that fight for me. So, hey, furniture, go fight him." Like that was kind of a surprise to me. I'm like, "Oh <laughs> shit, the furniture is coming to life." <laughs> Do you even occur to me that that like I I expected the furniture would sit still for the fight. Not that that he could command the furniture to fight on his side. And again, I'm referring to these people as furniture. But there was something about that that was like insidiously effective where just seeing them as furniture in multiple scenes uh, dehumanized them enough that like in my mind as I'm watching it, the furniture – uh, being used to as an army didn't even occur to me because I just started thinking of them as furniture. So this is why I want to read some sort of dissertation about this movie as like a film about kink because human furniture is a kink. And I, even though I knew like, well, none of this is consensual. I was familiar enough with that as a kink that I was like, oh, this checks out. Like, this is, I can just accept this as it is because, like, you know, clearly these people are into it or, like, someone is into this. It it goes against logic, but it it, it felt just, it makes sense. It works. But to have so many of them, it just reminds me of, have you ever been changing apartments or changing houses? Let's say you have to do a two-day move. Or, you know, yeah. you put I'll some shit what, in storage. I'll tell you what, those movers are, do not like moving the human furniture. <laughs> like, like, or, or hiring maybe movers you is are. expensive Who's when you're judge? like, hey, uh, don't mess up my table. He just had a major surgery. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be so amazing to like, you just, so when you want to move, you just like get a limo. Or just give yeah. them directions. To <laughs> so um but yeah it reminded me of when you're moving apartments and you're halfway through let's say you have to like stop to like go to sleep and you're just like i need to eat pizza and beer and pass out and let's say you have like a mattress in the corner and like a chair and like but no books no tv like nothing and you're just like you just sit down in the chair and you're just like cool so what do I do in my apartment usually? Um, <laughs> he just gets in the room with his human furniture. And then does he just have like a nice sit? Yeah. He does a lot of sitting. And and there's not a human TV. So there's not much to, to watch. What would a human TV involve? <laughs> How do it you make be... a human TV? I imagine it's like, so in my mind, die. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me describe this. It's it's uh, four people that make a square. They stand perfectly straight, and then and then depending on how many characters are on the show you're watching, uh, acting out in the middle of them. 
Yeah, but they have to be acting it out like 10 people back to fit within the frame. <laughs> well, you could say every TV show is a, is a television show about giants. <laughs> so it's just from nipples up. That's it. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of do like a Punch and Judy thing going on. I don't know. Yeah. Like, oh, it could be a puppet show. Yeah. It could yeah. be a puppet show. Have you guys seen a little movie called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Uh-huh. I have. Willy Wonka was devising a human TV when he trapped Mike TV inside of a TV. That makes sense. I think even harder is the human remote, to be honest. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, Not I because mean, that would get pretty easy to do, hard to lift, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, hard, hard to control in the way you want to, maybe. <laughs> easy to find, though. Yeah. Hopefully the human remote doesn't get lost between no. the human cushions. <laughs> uh, so good. Um, so Carrie, you mentioned kink, and this movie is kinky. Yeah, there's leather and whipping, and I made a list. Human furniture. Yeah, thank you so much. Give, give us that list. I have a list in my notes. It's called fetishes featured in this movie, and you can help me think of more because I'm sure I didn't. I'm sure I don't have all of them in order. <laughs> they are human furniture, mini skirts slash schoolgirl, damsels in distress, uh, leather. Um, Yoko, one of the Gear Gear girls, has a whip. Water sports, because there's some peeing at towards mm-hmm. the end. I don't really remember that, but I wrote down my notes, so it must happen. And then the whole like dick size thing. Yeah, the dick size thing is like a That's humiliation totally a thing, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cannibalism falls more under the diet thing than probably a fetish, right? <laughs> oh no, that's got to be someone's fetish. It has to be. I mean, if it yeah. exists, it's 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 a fetish. Yeah. Um, but it's it, that is so it's so amazing to me because it is it is such a kinky movie most uh, the the main gang in it the musashino are so like wholesome the hashim is the is only characterized by being horny about women and then he gets the other the other few crew into trouble you know trying to go to the the uh, brothel and the rest of the gang apparently just hangs out and talks about hanging out and drinks milkshakes and talks about hanging out um, no most homo. of the day. No yeah. homo. Yeah. Um, just guys being, I don't know, what what's the male version of gals being pals? <laughs> what's the guy version of that? Because that's what they are. I've never heard gals being pals before, so clearly I'm not invited to the meetings. <laughs> um, so I don't know. We... Uh, look, we're going to get back to our meetings. We're going to figure it out. Um, every scene that, where, they're, where they're at that restaurant that they just live at, the Pennies. Oh, man. You guys have to have the the Pran Slam from Pennies. Uh, it is <laughs> delicious. Um, yeah. But Aaron, every, did you every work scene... at Pennies for a little bit in college? Oh, yeah. No, I – and that's where I got my um, – I was going to say try to change paycheck to a P, but that starts with a P. So, <laughs> it's my paycheck. My pay pack. Um, Walter oh, Peck yeah. from Ghostbusters? Oh, yeah. He is very influential at the pennies. There's a, <laughs> there's a lot of EPA violations uh, that occur, uh, mostly with what we do with the grease uh, from mm-hmm. the old prior. Um, <laughs> the, 
Um, I do think that every every scene, you know what? I, I, I don't know why I don't know the name of the song. I just feel like I've been hearing it a lot lately. So it could be a new song, could be an old song. It's the, we're going to have a good day. Dang, I'll find a fight today. I need to listen to more mainstream radio. But every scene at the Penny should just have that song in the background. Mm-hmm. Because that's what if, that's yeah. what if, that's the vibe that I was getting. Yeah. Genre movies, musicals, and big ostentatious macro movies that are not about not about small emotions they're only about big emotions and that's that i don't know what people do all day in these movies they just exist for the movie to happen like i don't know how mira and nikoi have not killed each other before the movie happened i don't know how mira hasn't killed his father already i don't know how his father hasn't just through sheer whim not murdered everybody in the movie because he's apparently just like yeah that person needs to die and somehow these sons have made it to the ripe age of 25 or 30 like it's 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 what these big macro broad movies are is like characters don't exist in in reality they exist in this reality mm-hmm. like they're not like ah, fuck I gotta go to Target. Like, that never happens to them, ever. Yeah. That's true. It's not a movie that you can say is predictable, because every 10 minutes there's something else that you're like, I would never have guessed that was coming. Okay, great, let's go with this. Yeah, that's part of the deal, too, is that all the the real depraved gangsters are id-driven. They just Mm -hmm. do whatever, do whatever crazy, the craziest thing is, because they're they're driven their motivation is whatever Cyan Sono wants to happen. <laughs> their motivation is not driven by some sort of like internal strife, like, man, I really wish that <sighs> really wish I talked to my mom before she passed away. Like it's not like that. It's like I really I really wish that, you know, I it's gone to grad school. Like it's none of that. It's this is the craziest thing I, I could do, therefore I will do it. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, my final thoughts are like I mean it's pretty clear probably from the through line of this this movie it has so much stuff that I like and I think it's creative and just vibrant and you know original like this. I haven't seen a movie like this before. Like a mixtape musical I think is original. I can't think of another example of this. The the kind of warriors vibe and how much effort was put into that, but you know, it this this could have easily been a slam dunk favorite movie for me. It just the 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 cruelty and the uh, uh, casualness of of all the sexual violence in this makes it tough to recommend to anyone. Especially as as we've noted many times, it opens the movie with some of the worst examples of that that I've uh, seen in a movie that we've discussed, um, and probably in general. So it's 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 a mixed bag. Um, I wish it was something like on the level of the lure or the other two movies that we're going to be talking about this month um, that are just some of my absolute favorites, but uh, definitely gave us a lot of this, a lot to talk about. And I couldn't have, uh, I couldn't have asked for two better people to have that conversation with. Um, I'm so happy that we had Carrie on this episode because it is a very trying movie and I, uh, (laughs) I really, I really am glad that you guys watched it and you guys took it so seriously and found some joy in it, apart from the very icky, very gross elements of it. And um, yeah, basically, 
what drew me into it was the spectacle. It was the charm of it. This sort of handmade, aesthetically dense movie. It's just details and details, but it's not just thrown at you just for stimulation. It's thrown at you to build a world. And the world just keeps building and getting thicker and thicker and thicker. Um, and at the end, the last 30 minutes is just let's rip this world down. Let's strip it down to what it is. And it's a story of people trying to get some justice in the world. Uh, people trying to do something with with their town. And, and maybe see, the police aren't stepping in. Nobody is well, stepping in except reason. for us. Yeah, the, the police are literally laughing at other police for trying to <laughs> to perform some justice. Yeah, and um, this is they're saying this is our town. Let's own this. And it's it, in that way, it's a very energizing movie throughout. And I, I I'm glad we went through the ugly side of this movie and why I brought it on. I am really excited that we got to talk about this because. I love I love the musical genre. This is not a film that would have ever been on my radar uh, were it not for you guys talking about it. And I'm glad that it is because it's so different from anything I've seen before. There's a lot that's really exciting about it. And, you know, the stuff that is tricky, you know, that's there. But there's enough that is interesting and exciting and not what I've seen before that it's piqued my curiosity and like I want to understand Sono's work better now I want to dig deeper into this kind of filmmaking because that's not something that I have a lot of exposure to and now that's it's it's opened up new possibilities that I am curious about now so I'm glad I'm really glad that this is on my radar now um and I am excited to see uh what else is out there Awesome. Thank you guys so much for watching this movie and going on this journey with us. So Aaron, actually, so Carrie, what have you been working on? You have something very big that you yeah. need to talk about. I do. Yeah. So I have, I, I have a couple things I wanted to mention. Um, so I, in uh, 2016, I worked on a show called Death Row Stories that is currently airing on HLN. Um, there's two episodes that I worked on. If you have um, on demand or you know, whatever uh, service you use, um, you should be able to find uh, Snitch Work, which is an episode that aired a couple weeks ago. So Death Row Stories is a, sh is a show about uh, various capital punishment cases. It's a documentary series. Uh, some people who are currently on death row, some people who have been exonerated. So the first episode that aired that I worked on um, is about a man who is currently on death row. His case is now being reopened in part because of the media blitz that the show is a part of, which is exciting. So um, that's worth checking out. And then this, uh, it will have already aired for the first time. It will have already premiered by the time this uh, is released. But um, on Sunday, May 15th, May 13th, um, Family Lies, which is an episode about Anthony Graves, who has been exonerated. Um, that will be airing and that will be available. Um, that'll be re-airing at various points. So uh, both of those episodes you can check out. And I hope you do. It's um, I will give content warnings that both of these episodes involve murdered four-year-olds. So like, you know, if, if like actual non-pretend murdered children is upsetting, you know, maybe skip it. But uh, it's good. 
It's okay. My kid doesn't turn four till the end of this month, so I won't have any relationship Great. material. Beautiful. Um, <laughs> no, I'm excited to check those out. Those. Yeah, uh, that's. I'm so excited because I I got to over the summer. I watched some of the Grateful Dead doc that you worked on. Did you, you really? Could, yeah. Oh, that's great. It was really, really cool. And it, it's on Amazon Prime still, I believe. Yep. I yeah, believe it was distributed by Amazon, yeah. Definitely check out the Grateful Dead doc. What is it called? Long Road? Long Strange Trip, yeah. It's four hours. Long hour- Strange Trip. It's four yes. hours, so take your time I with re- it. Hey, I recommend it to my dad. I don't know if he got around to watching it, but... Uh, he, because he was a big Grateful Dead fan, so I wouldn't be surprised if he. Do you think that'll did. give him like acid flashbacks? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he did acid. I could ask. He probably did. He was in the Peace Corps. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if he did acid, but uh, he did drink a lot of human blood. So yeah, um, yeah. that's his fetish. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget about uh, their reinterpretation of the classic Grease. Yes, uh, can be found oh, on yes. YouTube. Oh, how could I forget? Um, there is Hebrew Grease. Yep, so if you want to get, I don't know, would that be more or less depressing than the Death Row stories? <laughs> <laughs> it'll be, it'll just be as, as weird and avant-garde as the film that we just watched. Perfect. So, yeah. And the one other thing I wanted to mention that it's not, like, actually promoting, because it's still very much in, in uh, development stages, but I am starting, but I wanted to mention it because Peter was actually really helpful um, in helping me get it going. But um, I'm starting a writing project about watching films about sexual violence and kind of unpacking them. And that will hopefully be um, disseminated to the world sooner rather than later, at least in the early stages. So um, as maybe you could tell from this episode, that's a thing that I think about a lot. So I'm trying to put that into actual practical use. And um, Pete was really helpful in helping me get my watch list together so that was you helped me discover miss 45 which is like my new favorite movie so (laughs) (laughs) i've watched it twice this year so yeah it's amazing the grin that i have on my face right now is probably inappropriate for the subject matter but i'm so i'm so so excited to read this yeah yeah so we'll we'll definitely once once it gets off the ground and yeah. We'll, we'll throw some links into uh, on our website and on, on some show notes too because I would I did not know that was a thing but I w- would very much love to read it. Excellent, thank you. We have two more movies though for Musical May. What do we Peter. got? We got we got next week. Little Shop of Horrors, the uh, 1986 Frank Oz uh, musical. Rachel Graff um, is uh, someone I know in real life. Will be guesting with us again. Uh, well, that should be a lot of fun. And we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about the uh, alternate twenty million dollar ending, right? Or yeah, absolutely. Ending, so I actually, okay. I actually, she has my Blu-ray copy right now because I have the Blu-ray with the alternate ending. So we will. I mean, we're going to primarily talk about the theatrical movie, but we'll definitely, maybe for like an opening segment, we'll talk about how crazy that uh, hundred billion dollar ending that they they cut was. Uh, and then we're going to wrap up Musical May. Uh, with a guest that uh, I believe Carrie knows in real life, David yep. Clark. I was just about uh, to say. Talking about Hedwig and the Angry Inch. So oh, that's going to be a fun one, too. This is going to be such a fun month. This already is a fun month. Yeah, so we're good. halfway through. This will continue to be very <laughs> fun. More fun to be uh, had. If you're hearing this, it's about to be taken down, but we have our poll for our uh, July uh, month. It should be on our website. You can find it on our Facebook page. Uh, we have four choices. I think 
uh, even compared to last year. I mean, all four of these months I really, really want to do. Uh, I think last time I had like one or two, I was really excited about one or two that I thought would be interesting. Like, I am so psyched. Eventually, we need to do all four of these months, Peter. But uh, one of them we're going to do this July. So go on and vote. Um, we'll uh, enter if you want to leave your name and email. We'll enter. Um, we'll enter your name in a raffle. And uh, the prizes are because I got them cheap when Toys R Us was going out of business. Uh, Spider Man Homecoming and Ghostbusters 2016 on Blu-ray. Um, so one lucky person will have those sent to you, and also, uh, maybe not so lucky, Peter and I will know your address. Um, <laughs> so twist ending. Uh, we're we're trying to do it very quick because we have to start booking guests for. Uh, both July and our already planned August month. So I think we're only going to have it up about a week. So if you're hearing this, it's, it, you probably have a day or two tops. Get on there. If you haven't voted, please vote. Uh, we're, we're very excited about this, the selection. So, um, and that's, that's all we have. We'll be back next week with what I consider my favorite musical of all time and back the following week with, uh, either my second or third favorite. So I'm very excited to continue this month. And hopefully, thank you guys so much for putting up with me trying to put uh, sentences and words together as I uh, just uh, – I've been on a flight in an airport since uh, 3.30 in the morning. And if I've decided that the only uh, – that, that I have a new least favorite airport in the world, it was previously the Tokyo airport uh, and is now LAX. So <laughs> – Yeah. Um, um, so That's enough. <laughs> that's enough. Good night. Good, Good night. night. Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us... Uh, tell us we're stupid. Tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment. Tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again... Above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch.